0: I'm still still getting this, so sometimes it's a little slower than I want it to be.
1: <laughs> That's no problem.
0: Okay, so we should be let me refresh this here. Okay, good. So we're up live on both. Both of them seem to be going. Um, all right. Okay. See here. All right. So as we kind of get going here, um, I want to give people some time to come on in. Um what's up, Reggie from Boston? I see you in here, Rashid, Chaos Rain. What's going on? Uh Art of Forte, Sugarcane. Um <laughs> Dwayne, what's up, man? You're gonna be instrumental in this in a minute. Um Dr. Lehman Basil's in this piece. Um, so we got some we got some people in here. As soon as they hear Dr. Tommy Curry, it's a rap, man. Folks come in to come see you as soon as possible. <laughs> I'm humbled I do, by it. I do have to say, starting out, that I'm really grateful because uh as we all know, you know, Dr. Curry is uh is on the other side of the world. So for him it's actually, you know, pretty late at night. And um He's about to leave uh, to go to Paris very soon. So as is usual, the brother is nonstop and he was kind enough to, to drop through. And how this this particular interview took place, I, I called to I reached out to him because I wanted to talk about a paper he wrote not long ago. And uh, I wanted to get his permission to do that. And in prime, Dr. Curry style, he was like, oh, man, I already got another one coming out <laughs> that builds on that. It goes to the next level, and I was like, "Well, you know, you know, do you have a minute to talk about uh, the papers, both of them, preferably?" And he was he was kind enough to uh, say yes. So even though we both know, uh, Gwinnetta is is exhausted because my brother is always on the go. I want to thank. I hear. I believe I hear about it. We yeah. We want to thank her for for allowing that too. (laughs) Absolutely, got to thank my wife for letting me do it. (laughs) But um, anyway, uh, so. Today we're going to be talking about a couple of different papers, and um, and and what that means for Black men overall, and for those of you um, coming in, if you could support the channel, um, you know uh, support the channel so we can continue to do stuff like this. Uh, feel free to comment. I'll do my best to keep up, but I'm still getting uh getting I'm still learning how to do this, so bear with me a little bit. Um, what's up, Brench? Uh, so we still have some people coming in uh, currently I see about seventy people watching and the numbers growing please hit the like button uh, please subscribe to the channel hit the bell so you can be notified when live videos go up and please share what you have as you come in um, share it share the video with others today we're gonna be two I'm gonna be doing two I'm gonna do an interview with dr curry and then At 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern tonight, I'm going to continue my meditation on the 12 areas of life that black men uh, need to improve or at least need to be improved for the quality of life in general for black men to uh, improve overall. So that was a conversation started last week on what black masculinism, uh, what the agenda of black masculinism is. Uh, So uh, so hopefully uh, you guys will come back in for that. Uh, But we're going to break this up into three parts. Uh, I want to get Dr. Curry's uh, observations on a couple of, you know, kind of mainstream things that are going on. Then we're going to transition and talk about uh, his first paper. She Touched Me, Five Snapshots of Adult Sexual Violation in Boys. And then his most uh, recent paper on the subject, uh, friends with Benefits, and she's just a friend with benefits, examining the significance of Black American boys' partner choice for initial sexual intercourse, both of which are written by both Dr. Curry and Dr. Ebony A. Utley. So, starting out, um, you've heard, of course, about Harvey Weinstein. As yes. what's currently going on, give us your thoughts about uh where things stand in regard to Weinstein and what that means for black
1: men in general, especially in the era of me too well, I mean you know Weinstein's always existed in a in a different category than than I think black men have um I saw um what is it the uh, very smart brothers piece you know trying to talk down to black men about their their hesitancy in celebrating Me Too, as if this somehow means that it justifies holding black men accountable. Uh, but to be quite honest with you, I, I think that very smart brothers in the mainstream media have misconstrued what black men have been saying about Me Too. Um, mm. The issue is not that black men have, I, at least I haven't seen, and given that I, I talk to a lot of different black men on Twitter and on Facebook and just in, in life about sexual violence and accusations and sexual vulnerability. I don't see black men apologizing for people like R. Kelly or other sexual predators. What I see is black men saying, "Why are we the poster child of sexual violence and rape in a world where white men uh, are raping with impunity and without punishment?" Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why. You know, because because the other the other side of that of that statement is, why are you not punishing everyone equally? Um, not that black men should get away with anything. And I think that when you look at the numbers of sexual victimization and sexual trauma, where black men are actually survivors of sexual violence and rape, uh, it, it makes the, the, the comment even stranger. Um, it seems like the same narrative where people are willing to speak down to black men, assume that their experiences of both false accusation and people who raped them not being punished. I mean, I think R. Kelly's sister, who everyone in the public now knows raped him and his brother. Um, Not being called to court, not being held to ask, even though she has two survivors saying this person raped and sexually abused us, um, is evidence of the contradiction that black men are tired of. Um, Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, as I have to say with all all deliberateness, I have personally not seen people saying that black men should get away with sexual violence or rape. Um, I just don't know where those conversations are being had. And that's not to say that in some segment, you know, the world's a big place. That's not to say that some black men don't believe that. But but that's to say why again why does the whole group of black men who seem to be overwhelmingly in support of women being getting justice and holding actual criminals accountable being framed as if they're they're rape apologists and they're rapists right absolutely so I think Weinstein um, is certainly a victory for Me Too uh, but as I've written in print I think Me Too um, in many ways has kind of reinscribed the logic of Jim Crowism. Mm where black men who are accused of sexual violence and crimes, uh, even when they're innocent, uh, simply don't have an ability to prove their innocence. So just like Jim Crow for black men, an accusation could mean death or it means ending your career. And I think what's fundamentally different about this is that black men are saying, we've already had this experience. We've already been the bodies that have been hung from trees because people falsely accuse us of things, right? Um, I saw that woman, Amanda Seals, make the comparison between uh, Jesse Smollett and uh, Emmett Till, right? Wow. <laughs> and, and make the claim that, well, you know, the white woman lied and she's still free. But what's missing all those kinds of pop culture references is that it's Black men's bodies who are being killed because of the lie. Absolutely. So that's, that's the issue. The issue is that when Black men are accused of rape, they're not like white men. Like, you don't have Black men raping people on video, Right, you don't have like this, you know, this thing that Kate Man says is empathy. That doesn't exist for black men because black right. men, even when they're accused, even when it's the most ridiculous conversation, mm-hmm. right? You know, black men become magical rapists. It, it requires the most amazing <laughs> thing, <laughs> like <Bill Cosby. laughs> magical rapists. <laughs> and, and I'm I'm serious, and I'm not saying Bill Cosby. I don't want anyone to say Curry saying Bill Cosby, and I'm not saying that. But but what I'm saying is when you look at the Bill Cosby situation. You have a world where the cia was watching him where he was under surveillance and then he gets convicted 40 years later but no somehow they didn't want to pull the trigger you know against a black man i was like it's these fantastical stories of black men raping white women you know being multiple rapists that the world knows about but somehow doesn't do something about and that's just not the history right It's it's never the history it's always some elaborate story some elaborate detailing of rape and then every black man who's suspicious of it, given our history in this country of being falsely accused, right? We have the highest exonerations of any group that's accused of rape and murder. So mm-hmm. even, even based on the data, black men have a reason to be suspicious.
0: Right. People say,
1: well, that's rape apology. I'm just, I'm tired of the pathologization. So I think Weinstein was found guilty if he indeed did the crimes, which seems to be the case. It's great that he's locked away. It's great that he's serving time. Other sexual predators. I think it's great that they've been convicted, but as I've said in my work, that's not the whole story. Men are not the only perpetrators. I think that we need to have a serious conversation about the kind of the rates of sexual violence and child sexual abuse in our communities. And I think this is going to fracture some of the Me Too's ideology because a large amount of these perpetrators are women. And I right. think we need to start listening to what Black men are saying instead of trying to frame them as rape apologists every time someone tries to disagree or make a nuanced claim about how. Me too is an eerie reminder
0: of a ge- ge- well let me also say really quickly um shout out to those contributing uh BGS BGS Grinch uh Big Game Um Let me see there's a few people in here. Um A Nell, thank you. Uh, appreciate all the support, y'all. Uh just got the super chat up, so uh please participate and like them. Um if that's how you pronounce your name, I apologize if I mispronounced it. Um, But as we go into this Another one of the major issues That have taken place That's taken place recently Is with the passing of Kobe Bryant Um, And I not only bring that up Out of respect for Bryant And his daughter's passing But also because this seems like A very powerful moment Where I'm seeing black men Who never really got into the fray Of feminist portrayals of men in general Speaking up in a way I've never seen Absolutely. Talk about you know the the Kobe Bryant, Gail King, and even Farrakhan. I don't know if you had a chance to hear. Farrakhan's yeah, i, I heard comments. about that. Yeah. What are your reflections on that?
1: Well, I mean, you know, first off, I think anytime a tragedy like that happens, um, you know, Kobe Bryant was such an immense talent and such a symbol, not just for Black men but for the Black community, uh, that it that it hits home in a lot of different ways. Uh, so, you know, of course, my heart goes out to his family and to all those you know who have had a serious feeling of loss. And I have to be honest with you, when I found out that Kobe passed, um, I, I had some unexplained feelings of sorrow myself, you know, mm-hmm. I've always been a Kobe fan. Um, but you know, I never got to see him play anything like that, but you know, it, it, it actually affected me for quite a few days. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of national, if not global sense of loss that a lot of black and brown men felt, uh, really does speak to how we saw ourselves mm-hmm. in Kobe, how we saw ourselves, um, as black men in this country, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm one of the people who followed the case because, you know, at the time he was he was a hero to me. I think that I agree with the article that says he wasn't a rapist. I don't think an accusation, uh, especially under those circumstances, makes him one. And I know that's an unpopular position given the era that we're in where accusation means guilt. Um, but, you know, again, this is what I mean about the magical rapist. You know, a mm-hmm. person that comes in, takes the rape kit test, has two or three different, you know, specimens of semen, you know, on her at the time. And we Mm. just Mm. these things away. Like there's the, the, I guess the issue I have is that there seems to be, whereas Weinstein is, and and even Cosby are perpetual and serial rapists, right? Mm. There's there's claims of multiple women. Kobe Bryant has this one incident and Mm -hmm. when the world is mourning his death and the death of his daughter, we're told black men are being told punitively, remember he's a rapist and you can't, People telling us that we can't mourn someone that we feel for because if we mourn this person, then we're rapists like them. I'm just sick of language, man. I'm well, sick within, of it. it, was, it was within the first couple of hours of the murder, was an an
0: he wasn't even his body wasn't even found yet, and I started to hear these narratives coming right.
1: through. Absolutely, um, I told a um, colleague, thank you." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but I told a colleague when he died, I was like, "We get ready for for all the he was a rapist." You know, posts and everything. People try to make his career off, off of a dead black man's body. And, you know, I guess I'm so disturbed by this because what I, what I, and I talk about this in the man, not what I see happening collectively in the world is there are groups of people, white, black, male and female that try to define black men for themselves. Right. And so black men don't get to define themselves. Black men don't even get to tell who they choose who they get to mourn for. The world tells black men who they have to mourn for and tells us who not to mourn for because if we mourn for the wrong person, then we become rapists and predators too. And I guess what's what's most disturbing about this is why is it that every single trope, even in the 21st century, that has to deal with black men, have to deal with the sexualized predator or the rapist. Right? I mean, because think about what we're talking about here. They tried to get Prince as a as a domestic abuser. Prince. Right? right. You know, every time a black man dies, and I said this is gonna happen the same thing with um No Tyson. Every mm. time a black man dies, they're going to paint him as a rapist or, or an abuser of women and children. It, mm. it seems to be the pattern. And you have to mm. ask, look at what happened to Michael Jackson, spent his whole life fighting mm. occasions. won them over and over again. He dies, and then in death, suddenly, right. you know, right. the documentary comes out and says, No, don't forget he's really a rapist. This is a narrative that is driving the national imagination. And I think that Gail King um, took advantage of that. I don't buy this mix up. I don't buy that she was um, misinterpreted. I think Gail King deliberately wanted to paint uh, Kobe Bryant as a rapist. And when Lisa Leslie didn't go into that uh, kind of narrative, uh, she pushed back on Lisa despite the, despite the inappropriateness of the, of the, uh, of the moment. And, and, you know, this whole thing about, well, it's not that Snoop love Kobe. he was just a massages. I'm sick and tired of hearing this, man. I'm sick and I'm sick and tired of every time someone, be it a man or woman, pick the person, makes an argument against the character of black men, black men are the only group that are told they can't respond. Right, right. Right. So so and 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 this becomes a real issue because it means that there's no, as I say in chapter five of my book, there's a characterological defect. The idea is that black men have nothing to defend. They have Mm -hmm. no character. Mm -hmm. They have no personhood. We all know that black men are trash, so to speak, in the language of the the contemporary black feminist uh, parlance. Mm -hmm. Right? So, if that's the case, then there's no basis for black men to get angry. And this is the kind of language that I see mobilized in the national media. Why are you upset that Gail King called Kobe a rapist? You know that you're a rapist. That's a fact. So, once we admit that Mm -hmm. that the fact is true, you have no reason to be mad at Gail King. So, Mm Gail King didn't. Black men, because we all know that what she thinks of Black men is true, so the only reason you're attacking Yo King is because you hate Black women. That's the fallback position. Mm-hmm. And no amount of violence, right? There's no amount of abuse. And again, I, I point to the R. Kelly situation with this, because I think I have no problem that R. Kelly's being convicted, given that he is he seeming to have this kind of predatory nature. My only point has always been, well, then why are we not looking at the antecedents of that violence and that and that predatory behavior? And the fact that his sister is still walking around free, being a rapist, admitting it, having people admit it, is, and knows that because she's a black woman, that she'll never have to answer for the harm that she's done to, to two young black boys. I'm I'm tired of this. Right? And I think that's where Gail King is brought up. You know, people want to take the response of Snoop out of context. But right. Snoop is saying, I am sick and tired of every time one of our own dies, we retry them after death. Right? Mm-hmm. This is the crux of it. And I'm not saying I agree with the way the way Snoop said it. But once you start a fight, you don't have the ability to respond, to gauge how people respond. Right. right. You can't can't go in and tell people you're trash, you're nothing, you should be killed. You know, police violence is karma. Well, you know, the various things that we see on Twitter in in a 24 hour news cycle and then get upset when black men as a collective lash out against you. And then when you when the black men lash out against what they take to be dehumanizing rhetoric and language, you say the only reason you're lashing out is because you ultimately hate black women or you hate women or whatever the concoction is.
0: Well, and then there was was the bait and switch because the whole discussion became about Snoop's choice of language. And then this mysterious death threat, which I would imagine anybody in media at a certain level is going to get in general, but she made it central and then kind of associated it with Snoop's frustration. And then that became a reflection of all black men.
1: Exactly, and like I said, I'm not defending Snoop. I'm just defending the position that once you start a fight, you can't. Once you put something right, like that right. out there, you may get those kinds of things. Right, but like, right. like Bill Bellamy's response to her didn't get any attention. Exactly. And I, I actually prefer the way that Bill Bellamy came at her because he's like, "Listen, you created this situation. You right. chose to right. ask those questions. You knew this part of the history, and you chose to do it anyway." Because he's like, "Look, when I was with Michael Jackson, and Michael had these allegations." I chose not to do that because I'm trying to uplift the artist. I have a friendship and a relationship with him. So, Gail King is responsible for reinforcing the idea that black men are rapists even in death. And nobody mm-hmm. wants to hold to task for that. But it goes to a whole nother level when you start talking about Michael Jackson
0: and Rick James. Now you're talking about people who are being dug up to be well, tried in the court of public opinion. They can't defend themselves. So, you know, it, it's
1: comprehension. Absolutely. It's just confirmation. So, if and this is what I mean about how stereotypes about black men operate. This is why I'm I'm pushing in my work that, that racism is a misandric uh, aggression. We already know what the world thinks about black men. They think that they're abused women and children, and they're rapists. I mean, this idea was birthed when white women wanted to stop black men from getting the right to vote back in the 1860s. This has been over a hundred year old stereotype of what black men are in the West. So when black men die, you're not having an actual deliberation of their guilt or innocence. You're just pretending that by saying the black man is a rapist after death, that that's somehow a critical gender intervention on the behalf of women. But it's a racist stereotype. Regardless of what people say, there's no way to retry the case, right? Nobody's mm. gonna prosecute Kobe Bryant after death. Nobody this white woman got paid off. She made songs that I saw on YouTube with her rapping about it. She she's bragging to her friends about it, regardless. So the idea that in public opinion we're going to change those material facts of the world, right, mm-hmm. and then create a narrative where somehow we're arguing on behalf of this white woman who, who seems to not have any of the issues that the survivor has in relationship to Kobe Bryant is not going to change the world. Mm-hmm. Us calling Kobe Bryant a rapist is not about getting justice for the accused, right? right for right. the you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like there's not nobody's even, and this is what's funny through all this hoopla, nobody ever reached out to her and said, are, are, I tried to champion her side of the story. Right. If the only thing was that she was silenced, there's not been a centering on the victim. So Absolutely. this is a, this is a celebration. This is a a, a virtual or digital lynching um, mm-hmm. that, that to do real violence to the image of a black man since they can't do it to his body. Mm-hmm. And I think that at a very real level, this isn't about identity politics. This is about a frustration and an exhaustion that black men still have to defend their humanity even when they're not convicted. Because think about the position that this, you know, Hassan, think about the position that this puts us in. If we're convicted by the criminal justice system, that means that the racist criminal justice system got it right. Mm. Even when we know that after they allegedly got it right, most of the cases with Black men in terms of rape and murder is wrong, mm. right? So that's a fact. That's a fact that we're, we're like 30 percent, more likely to be innocent of murder, and three point five times percent, you know, uh, three point five times more likely to be innocent based on uh, rape convictions than mm-hmm. white, men. right? So we know there's a, a greater error with that. Right. Now, if right. we don't get convicted, this is the crazy part. So the, the racist criminal justice system convicts us, even if it's wrong. Somehow that was the right decision. It doesn't convict us, and we meet this extraordinarily high burden of proof. That somehow they miss one. So the conclusion has to be, given those parameters of identity politics, that the black man is always guilty even when he's not. Mm, Black men are when they're not. And that's a real ideological problem because it not only means that we're filling prisons with black men, but we're filling prisons with innocent black men. And this is why it is so dangerous for us to have these notions of gender where sexual violence is only involved with With women, not just black women, but women in general, because this this is how black men express sex, how black men express love, how black men mediate intimacy. Now black Mm -hmm. men are going to have to record consent. They're going to have to, you know these these are the types of things that's being pushed on the basis of this kind of Jim Crow ideology, where black men are said to be guilty of rape simply if someone says they did. I want to I want to
0: highlight a few people, especially in the chat, who are who are who are commenting, donating. First of all, and I told you this before. I think I mentioned it to you yesterday. You have a lot of love out here that I don't know if you know you have, but I'm going to let you know you have. So brothers brothers and sisters, uh, shout out to Kendra, who's in the chat. Uh, We got Dollar Washer, who makes a comment about Kobe. Kobe was charged, had due process, and absolved of any charges. The end, you got uh, Alonzo, who says, got Professor Curry's book, the man not last week. Can't wait to read it. So much, so many awesome things. Content needs to be supported and shared. Um, uh, let me see. We also got I am Alpha throwing support behind the show. Thank you. So you got people coming forward. I appreciate you know, it. Man. The last couple of days going crazy trying to make sure they were here. Uh, Dollar Washer says until Black women start checking Black women, Black men have to move accordingly. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, Urban Warlock. Thank you, gentlemen, for your service. Uh, let me see. Enjoying my copy of The Man Knot. What's the deal with that new black lesbian organization, Heal Black Men? Why won't they heal themselves? I hadn't heard of that one. Um, I haven't heard of that one either. And but see, uh, let me see. Martin, Martin says, uh, We refuse to be de facto demons of convenience. But go ahead, man. What were you about to say?
1: I, you know, I wanted to say, I, I really do appreciate the love, and I think that I, I think that The Man Knot's really um, spawned some really positive conversations for black men about their own abuse and trauma. I get I get messages all the time about Black men who are now seeking out help to deal with mm-hmm. some of these experiences. Me too. Yeah, yeah and, but I get, I just have to say in the strongest sense, like, you know, anybody who's read my book uh, knows that my that issue is not with Black women. My issue is with the violence that multiple groups of people, including some of which are Black women, but also other Black men, the white society, et cetera, um, perpetrate on Black males. And mm-hmm. I think that what we see happening now is this kind of, circling of the wagons uh, by certain factions of black feminists who want to demonize black men for seriously studying themselves, you know, um, for, and I'll give you a very good example of this. A few days I was on Facebook, uh, a few days ago I was on Facebook and someone made an accusation about black men being uh, sexist and misogynistic in the workplace. And I, and I said, well, look, that's not true. Black men are generally the most progressive group, um, not only in terms of political voting behavior, but also in supporting diversity, et cetera. And I was called a sexist and a misogynist for that. And I told the person, I was, like, Let me, I was like, I want to be very clear here. I've not said a negative thing about black women. I've said that black men were more progressive than black women on some measures of political behavior and ideas of diversity in the workplace and in education. And you're telling me that because I have a positive view of black men that's, that's been worked out for 30 years in the empirical literature, that's mm-hmm. sexist right? Mm-hmm. and right? This, and this is where we are, right? This is, and this is what I mean. The work I do is about uplifting black men, healing black families, trying to get black men and black women to understand each other so they don't hate each other. They don't take the hurt, the trauma that they've experienced. Right. And I think Kobe's a great, a great example of that. Right. The hurt in the morning that black men experience. How do you create a space intellectually to understand that? Right? Mm-hmm. You have these on Twitter saying, well, this is the first time black men ever express feeling. I've been on the phone with black men and they cry. They cry all the time. We right. Talk about their pain. So it's these stereotypes that exist, even in the mind of some Black women, that we that we don't feel anything, that we're hardened, that we're monsters, et cetera. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to break it down with empiricism, with facts, with, with data, with with personal narratives and stories. Right. But then that right. it gets picked up and taken into the world as, oh, well, Curie or Black male study scholars hate Black women. But in three years, not a single person's been able to point out a single <laughs> negative stereotype that I've ever advanced against Black women or any other group. Because that's mm-hmm. not what it works about. So I'm sick and tired of this idea that black men fighting to create space for themselves to open up how they emotionally and how they seriously deal with the the violence that they see. The kind of mm-hmm. violence that's done for black men, even upon death, is taken as a negative thing. Well, I think like a- right now there has to be a line drawn where black men will simply not continue to endorse their own inhumanity, Absolutely. even when it's advocated by academic institutions. Absolutely, and I think.
0: Social media has had a, a, an incredible impact on that because black men on on every level can actually start to articulate their experiences and be heard by other mm-hmm. black men, and that's changed the game in many respects. Because I think prior to that, we had to kind of filter our experiences through whichever celebrities or maybe an academic who would say something publicly, you know, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, you know, whatever. But then now, where you have everyday brothers able to participate, it's it's reached a whole nother level. But well, there's a couple of things I wanted to get your response on. One, sure. and they both re- relate to uh, Black feminist you know, theory, really, in mm-hmm. regard to how Black men are perceived. But one is a bit of a reversal. There was a recent post by a good friend of yours, Dr. Stacey Patton. Yes. And, and she actually commented. Let me see if I can bring it up here. Uh, she commented on Dr. I mean, commented on Audre Lorde. Uh, yes. Right, and and one of the things she taught, she showed an excerpt uh, from a text on Lord talking about Lord's abuse, and she kind of framed it in a in, a, in a particular way in regard to how uh, most people don't know about this in regard to you know Audrey Lord herself and Black feminists are not on the front lines trying to talk about this in equal measure with any oh, other Black male. But
1: what are your thoughts on this? Now you've seen this piece, and I put it up for people. Yeah, actually read, I read about this almost uh, a decade ago. Like exactly. I, I found out about it like 2000 is right after I finished grad school. It was like 2009, 2010. Mm. So I was well See, familiar
0: I, I about it more as a rumor, but I actually had not done any research on it. But what are your thoughts about the kinds of, of, of information that are readily made available, even when just
1: rumor about black men? But when oh, it comes. Well, I mean, to- was- yeah, brother. I mean, again, this is what I mean about the dishonesty. Right. Like I have no problem with black. I mean, black women feel Audre Lorde. They feel her speaking to her and so That's not a problem. But I think to to deliberately avoid the kind of violence that Audre Lorde has done to other women and to other black men as an abuser and a womanizer is just beyond the pale. And that's mm-hmm. and I think that's me being consistent. So the same way in my book, I held Eldridge Cleaver's feet to the fire about him advocating rape and doing damage to to our own community is the same way that we should be holding Audrey Lord accountable for this and again mm-hmm. as I've said in the past like when you look at the data for domestic violence um you see that communities that have stigma and that means even in our own communities black same-sex couples poor black couples single these all have disproportionately high rates of domestic violence the fact that Audre Lord was an abuser is not really surprising you know, statistically I mean, but yes, speaking, I mean, this has been known at least within black people that there's bidirectional violence and female perpetration since Tally's corner. I mean, he starts off his book with an account of a black woman beating up her husband. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's not surprising mm-hmm. in that sense. I guess what is surprising to me is that how black academics are supposed to know what to hide and what not to hide. So if it's right. a black man, oh that as quickly as possible. Wait, you found out a black man was an abuser? Be sure at your next conference, flag out right. whoever uses him. Right. His work, right. Um, right. did you know he's user of women? But Audre mm-hmm. Lourdes, I mean, this book was published in 2006, mm-hmm. or 2006, something around that. So we've known about this for over 15 years, and this is only coming up now. This is right. ridiculous. Right. And, again, and really,
0: thanks to Patton, because, you know, it, it,
1: whether or not it would be discussed to this extent is questionable. Without her true. But I think, I mean, I saw it a few days ago on Twitter. I mean, before Stacey po- posted it, I saw uh, a debate about it on Twitter. Mm Because somebody about it on the Feminist Wire and they re re dug that up. But the issue is really, like, why are we not holding all black people who harm people uh, accountable? This is a contradiction that I constantly post about or or write about in my own work. Why is it that when black women do violence, why is it that when black women perpetrate violence against children or men or other women, Mm -hmm. does does that just go out the window? And then when black men say, hey, I'm interested in studying this. Right mm-hmm. then, people are like, oh, you're a misogynist. I don't understand how any of this follows. If the argument is we should care about victims, which is the stance that I take in most of my work, I report about female perpetrators and male perpetrators. I've said that we have a huge issue not talking about women who uh, physically sexually abuse young boys, and we also have a problem in our community talking about the men who do the very same thing to these groups of people. I mm-hmm. guess I'd imagine in my life that we would be in a position where people where, where the scholar who's saying it's a both and problem, mm-hmm. right? Have have problems in heterosexual couples in the United States, in black couples in the United States because of poverty, discrimination, racism. We have problems in same sex couples, then that all follows the data that that will somehow be the controversial position to hold, given when all the science by white people are doing moves that way. And the black person condemn only straight black men for being perpetrators of domestic violence is the unpopular position. This is not nonsense, but this tells you how far. Uh, identity politics, uh, and Black feminist ideology is gone in trying to draw a circle around um, the sanctity of the Black female subject when we have real sociological and public health issues to deal with in our community. And we have for decades, and and it's been sidestepped.
0: But I want to say that this has also been taken to another level because you have actually been targeted uh, in a unique manner that I want to pull up. Uh, Let me see if I can find it. My apologies, people. Bear with me for one moment. I just got a a new computer, and I'm still learning it, Uh, so I thought I'd be a little smoother with this, but uh, some things are popping up that I'm just getting. But I do want to post this because it directly spoke about you Uh, Mm -hmm. in relation to what we're we're discussing uh, as far as... um, That's the same one. Here we go. Okay, so let me get this one out of the way. Bear with me one moment, people. Um... And I think we're, wait a minute, I'm sorry, wrong one, bear with me. My goodness, this is is all kinds of everywhere. All right, so here we go. So this one has to do with you directly. Uh, And it deals with, uh, uh, it's a special message from one uh, Tandizwe Shemaranga, and she's talking to about you. It Shout out to the Professor Deterville for shooting this out. But um, yeah, interesting kind of statement here about uh, be sure to share with, remind, tell your little man, not friends, the one who stand for Tommy Curry. Uh, and then goes in to talk about, uh, you know, the, suppo- the, the abuse of women and so on and so forth, but frames it primarily as mm-hmm. something that women engage in self-defense. What are your thoughts about what you're seeing I and mean, the kind of blowback directed directly at your, your work?
1: Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, she's free to have that opinion. I think that this is still a debate within the literature, but I'll, I'll make three points, and these are the points that I make in my scholarship. One, Ellen Pence has already said that she lied about how she came up with the Duluth model. So, given that she excluded women, not black women specifically, but women in general um from being perpetrators of domestic violence for political reasons. And she writes that in 1999 several years before she dies. The second issue is well if I, if what you're if what they're saying is true then this is what we would have to accept based on the data sets that we accept that black women or women in general are violent towards children and violent towards same sex partners at disproportionately high rates uh, but we don't accept that for black men. So said differently Black women could abuse everybody but black men. So every time, so if we know we see a pattern where black women are abusing their children and black women are abusing their same-sex partners. The only time it becomes self-defense is when they're actually fighting against black men. I think that's a ridiculous way to interpret the data set. And lastly, um, I think that when you look at the dating violence, um, the disproportionate rates of female black female perpetrators uh, in dating violence against black men that start as early as um, junior high, then it becomes a really uh, another question. So you're you'd have to admit, given the data. That young black girls, even as early as sixth grade, seem to engage in at least unidirectional violence, be it verbal or physical against their boyfriends. Uh, But somehow this stops when they become adults. Mm. And at that point, the black men attack them. And, you know, none of this makes sense, man. Like, here's the issue. The issue is we don't have any empirical studies on black men. So whereas white people are studying white men and figuring out how white men understand their experiences as as victims of abuse. Nobody wants to do that for Black people. So we keep imagining what's actually happening in these homes. Two, right. there are cases where Black women do defend themselves from Black men, right? Nobody's denying that. What I am also saying is that there is pretty good evidence that men also defend themselves from women, and that men also respond to violence that's situational and not that doesn't always fall into the category of intimate terrorism, right? Mm-hmm. So. There are ways that, that black men are going to respond to verbal abuse, to physical abuse, it's a success of patterns of that over time that makes them the victim responding to the aggression of the woman. right? And thirdly, as I've said in my own work, some of this is bidirectional, meaning that we have couples that are extremely violent who fight each other, and we're not dealing with that. The self-defense argument presupposes that you see two unilateral differences. Men attacking women and women attacking men. And they want to say that this side where men, where women attack men is only in self-defense. That's Mm -hmm. not what bi directionality says. bi directionality says that at different times, men and women are both the victims and the aggressors. So a woman will be the aggressor sometimes and a man will be the aggressor sometimes. Both parties are to blame. Now, Mm -hmm. I know someone like Carolyn West, I've read her scholarship, will say something like, well, she thinks that most violence that women commit are based in self-defense. There are other people um, like Hampton's work or uh, there was a recent study that was published by a group of women that said, no, look, black women are actually aggressors in some case. They had a small study, I think, of like 40 or 60 people to prove that this is these are debates that will happen over the next few decades as people start to more do more empirical work on the black community. Given the trajectory of what we've been seeing of the statistics for the last 20 or 30 years, I feel pretty confident in going along the literature saying that higher rates of bidirectionality are part and parcel, and that all of these are not simply due to self-defense, where men are the primary aggressors. Yeah, well, I don't know if this is right is when we do more studies and more more you know small qualitative studies and more big survey data to figure out. But this is not an argument that's denying Black women's pain. And I guess what upset me with the um, the little Facebook post is that it assumes that it can only be one way, right? Oh, right. White white public health people. I think I've mentioned Linda Myers's work before. Um, white people are not even studying white people in this way. and They mm. get all the, the big studies on domestic violence.
0: Mm. So I'm
1: confused how white people are pushing back on the Duluth model that men are always aggressors, but black, but black men can't. Right. And black, right. men, and so like you know, if you're looking at the data sets from 1976 to the early 2000, black men were the disproportionately the largest victims of intimate partner homicide. So I don't understand mm. people have always been shown as greater victims in the data don't wow. have a right to investigate themselves different than the narrative that is, that's being offered to us by feminists. It's a dishonest interpretation. I think that there's lots of evidence that pokes holes into the Duluth model besides the fact that the author of the Duluth model says I was lying. I just made it up. I don't know what else. I don't know She's what else. we <laughs> like I, like, I don't even know why we're having this argument, right? Like, let's go study. I was like, I'm willing to be tested. Like, put my feet to the fire. Let's go out let's have somebody, let's let let these scholars who want to know, who think that I'm wrong, let's go out, let's start studying, let's do random sampling of black men who are victims of domestic abuse. Let's see if there's a level of bidirectionality. Let's see if they account for their experiences as them being the primary aggressor. Are there, are them reacting uh, to women's violence, be it verbal, psychological, financial, or physical? Let's see what that gets us. Let's study the damn issue. But this kind of oh, I can refute Curry just because I say that he's a man and he doesn't want to hear women's victims. That's not true. I just have tremendous sympathy for all victims. But I'm not going to sit here and say that because there's something we don't know, let's just side with an outdated interpretation of yes. interpersonal yeah. and intimate partner violence. Well, real quick,
0: shout out to Rasheed J. Davis, Katz, Portia Stewart for your support. Also, Marcellus Clifton, uh, D. Curry, mm-hmm. And then, of course, people in the chat. We got Alpha males. I mean, Alpha Sigma nineteen fourteen. Uh, Shouts out your book. Says excellent book, Dr. Curry. Um, uh, Focus fifty six. Uh, we can't support other black men without putting black women over them. It's a Comment that uh, Focus fifty six says. Um, uh, another thank you for GBA, uh, Mega Montana. Let me see, Lone Revolver. Thanks for the support. Just keep up the good work and join the content. Uh, Money Mike says, donate to the cause. Thank you. Harambe just bought your book. So I'm assuming he's talking about the man not um, as well as D remedy. um, Shouts out a powerful conversation. Darnell Jones uh, says he appreciates you, Dr. Curry. Um, So you know, you're definitely getting a lot of love. And I appreciate that. Um, Let me see. Uh, Thanks, BGS. BGS is in the chat, still handling things much appreciated. Now, Um, We were talking a little bit before, and I wanted to kind of give some context really to what you even just said in regard to this kind of, you know, black feminist positioning of black men and black women in very distinct roles. Can you talk a little bit about in your assessment, how do we get to this point where in the academy it's, it's black feminist theory that stands as the primary lens for even understanding black men? Without any well, yeah. of engagement of black men themselves, and you know so on
1: and so forth, can you can you break down what you see in regard to that? Well, I think I think we've talked about this before. Um, you know, I think any sociology of knowledge shows that the majority or the the demographic underrepresentation of black men in academies and universities, both as students and professors, um, makes it so that black women dictate the ideological tender uh, tenor. Of gender and masculinity studies and discourse. So again, you know, I I say this I, I think quite forcefully. We've accepted black feminism without ever testing if it was correct, simply because it was the dominant conversation. There and black men have not been represented as either students or professors within the academy to push back on it. Um, mm-hmm. every mechanism of black feminism is taken as sexism or misogyny as if it has this kind of axiomatic position as holier than thou. Um, I, I dare to question it on the basis of empiricism, you know, so I think that what we see in the academy is the effect of underrepresentation and the establishment of a hegemonic discourse that gets to define black men as objects without any competence in what their actual lives are really like. And I think that's extremely dangerous for very, for simple, for, for ways that are very similar to what people like Patricia Hill Collins arg- argues in black feminist thought, right? By making, black women objects, he suggested that positivist theories of sociology um, not only misinterpreted, but did real damage to the actual needs and understandings that black women had of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that black male studies is making a very similar argument about black feminism, that the lack of empiricism driving how black women interpret black men um, does very real damage, um, not only in terms of objectifying them, but perpetuating some very dangerous racist tropes. About them as rapists, predators, and abusers of women and children that not only have dehumanizing effects on their character and personhood, but also empower and legitimize criminal justice systems and apparatus that seek to sanction them and remove them from society through institutional decimation, if you like, uh, someone like Scott and Stewart's work, or just through um, you know play the determination to dehumanize and and um, eliminate them. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that there, these are the ways that. Ideological theories are academic theories, reify systems rather than challenge them. Uh, And until we actually address the effects that underrepresentation has, that black men not being there in the classroom, in the faculty, et cetera, and not having a particular standpoint or theoretical basis to argue against stereotypes, um, I think this is going to continue. And I think that's why a lot of people, uh, a lot of black feminists specifically find black male studies so threatening. Because Black male studies doesn't really say anything about Black feminism except that it's empirically wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? the, argue, the argument is not that Black feminism is some demonic you know, entity. The argument is like, look, Black feminism came about under a particular guise, a particular time period. These Black feminist authors are reading subculture violence theory like bell hooks. They're reading contracultural violence theory Are they reading uh, racial sexualization theory, which is what's cited in Kayla Cretchen's essay, Mapping the Margins. Um, and they're using that to interpret black men. And that's how you get bell hooks arguing that black men are rapists and predators and abusers. And they define masculine in that way. And she has not a single piece of evidence or citation to prove any of that. But she's the most cited author on black men. So black feminism um, takes this position not as an empirically situated doctrine about black males, um, but one that hasn't been able to be questioned because black men are not really thought of as thinkers and subjects that produce theory about themselves, but rather it's objects of other people's thought and study. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. You now we're gonna we're gonna
0: transition here. There's two papers that uh, I took. I, you know, I mentioned that we would talk about uh, the first of which is called "She Touched Me," and it's a brilliant piece done with Ebony Utley, uh, where you actually interviewed um, five black men who experienced violation at a young age. Now you, there were actually a lot more that you interviewed. I was actually one of the men interviewed as well. Uh, so you guys still have multiple projects that will probably come out of this, but you were primarily interviewing black men who had experienced sexual victimization at a young age. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about how that
1: paper came about and, and what you did in it. Well, yeah, I have to give um, tremendous thanks to Ebony. Uh, Cause you know, at the time I was just in a really bad place because I was trying to deal with all this, um, all this, all these stories that I was hearing from black men telling me that they were victims of, uh, sexual abuse and rape at the hands of women um you know and i know we talked about it somewhat you know a few years ago too when i started working on this and you know i'm in philosophy so i was dealing with people who told me to my face that black men it was a black feminist actually they told me to my face that i don't think you could rape a black man because they're always going to want it wow. um and i you know and and i got really upset about that because i'm like the stories I'm hearing are from young boys. <laughs> you know I'm hearing stories about people who are raped at the age of nine, 10, 13, 14, by much older, older women. And I guess what's so frustrating to me about those kinds of comments was that I would go to conferences and I would talk about the data. and um, you, know, people would just dismiss it. They're like, "Oh, well, we don't buy this. The data could be wrong, X, y, and Z. You know, there's no personal experience here. So, you know, I was at a conference that uh, Ebony was throwing and I told her about my frustration. She's like, you know, we should do a study on that. Mm. I was like, you know, I'm doing this, this and that. She's like, yeah, but, you know, she's like, let's let's go out and get these people. Um, She's like, you know, you've done all the data analysis. You've you have these people talking to you. Let's 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 put this down. And I was telling her about, you know, just kind of all the things that I was going through trying to present it. So she's the one that really kind of pushed me to say, yeah, you know, I needed to turn all the stories that I've been hearing and um, all the work that I've been doing into um, a a project that we could document with an IRB and through interviews. So, you know, I give her tremendous uh, credit because, you know, she really supported me uh, in trying to pursue this this area of of thinking and writing uh, in a way that I think was not very popular a few years ago. You know, nobody wanted to hear about black boys who were victims of sexual abuse, and even when I and this is the thing is like I told her, even when I told these stories, people would dismiss them. You know, because I would say, well, look, you know, I, there was this one story where a brother was talking about uh, two girls uh, raping him in a swimming pool, you know, performing fellatio on him, and I shared that story and a few others, um, you know, about babysitters who had performed oral sex on 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 young boys just to experiment for their own for their own benefit and and people would just laugh at these things they called me names because I was trying to have a conversation about black boys who were victims of sexual abuse mm-hmm. and you know she just really gave me a lot of support then to say look you should continue doing this work uh, and we should write this study together you know mm-hmm. that's kind of how it came about it came about as a way for me to deal with uh, a lot of the stories and a lot of the pain that I was feeling personally from trying to interpret this stuff and you know I think I've said this a hundred times but nobody teaches um black male scholars how to deal with the pain of meeting other black male survivors of, of sexual abuse and rape Actually, so you have mm-hmm. you have to learn how to process those emotions and that and that um, you know that feeling man i mean there were some days i was just on the brink of crying it was just so painful but you know the article you know starts off really trying to problematize uh how we think about the black male victim mm-hmm. right the young black boy mm-hmm. who's been sexually assaulted by the mother's friend uh, been sexually assaulted by you know um, girls of his his age group um, and to really kind of put away this myth that black boys are not victims to uh, black women's predatory sexual behavior in some cases
0: mm-hmm. Right,
1: and you know, we did it as a qualitative study I mean I was as careful as possible and I, you know we're, we're not saying I'm not making a claim that all black women are rapists nothing stupid like that I'm not taking that gender perspective what I am saying, though, is that disproportionately large numbers of childhood rape and uh, initial sexual debut are had with women or uh, peers that are much older than the boys themselves. Right. And so we know that most be, black women. Uh, uh, but you know, as sometimes as young as nine, and I think the study shows that in some cases as well.
0: Hmm. You actually yeah. in the beginning of. Go so far as to point out, you know, the, the kind of challenges for these stories to come out because, again, going back to popular feminist, radical feminist perspectives, it, it can't be the other way. Men can't be raped, so it isn't even an argument that both happen. It's that one can't happen, and only women can experience this.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the, you know, as you know, I've said before, um, the UCR changed where it recognizes male victims of rape uh, are men who are made to penetrate other people. <laughs> Um, but that has not changed the overarching narrative of how we understand male victims generally, but specifically black male victims. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was very difficult um, for for this kind of work to be done. And even when this piece was reviewed, like it got one review that was basically like, this is fantastic, it's going to change the way that we think about sexual violence. And there was another review that was just silly. It's the most ridiculous review I've ever seen, you know, trying to argue about, um, you know, they said something like, you know, the, I use it, I think it was a Duncan quote or door quote that was about radical feminism saying that only paper. perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Paper. And that person was like, Well, if there's radical feminism, there has to be other kinds of feminism. I was like, This is a quote, man. I'm not defending this is a person who works in child sexual assault. Um, you know, right. Laura right. makes a similar point about feminism. This is not an attack on feminism, this is an argument about feminism has given us certain ideas about what a perpetrator of rape is and what a victim of rape is. So the argument is. Given that perspective, that's been given to us by feminism, it is incorrect when we actually look at the data and start probing in the experiences of Black men. And again, I'm just so tired of this silly idea that you can't criticize feminism when it's clearly wrong about things because it's unassailable. You know, it's unassailable. Uh, the issue is that you have a theory that says men are the majority of perpetrators. Um, of rape and other kinds of sexual crimes. And the data for the last decade has shown that that is not always the case. It's simply not true. In some cases, yes, men are the majority of perpetrators. In other cases, no, they're not, and women are. And Mm -hmm. I don't understand the pushback on something that is just so empirically situated and true from the experiences of many young black boys. Um, that we have to keep arguing whether or not people who are interested in all these male victims who are not getting treatment, somehow have to defend why they want to criticize feminism for being incorrect. It's just a silly argument. and It's a waste of time in life. The real issue is that we have black men who are victims of trauma, who are being victimized in some cases about men, as in many cases by women. And we need to bring attention to this area so that they can get mental health services, that we can start redrawing policy, and that academics can begin to understand the effects that uh, early sexual debut uh, statutory rape coercive rape has on black men psyche and socialization absolutely so in this you
0: take snapshots as it says the five black men who had yes. different experiences coming in now you preface that by pointing out that there's there's evidence of this not only in the scholarship but even in pop culture and you highlight some of you know Vlad's interview with art rap artists who talk mm-hmm. about this but then you go into these examples and you highlight uh five different men who are given you know given different names and just kind of give talking about their experiences uh in regard to you know their first introduction to sex. What would you say was the overarching narrative that you walked away from walked away with this project, you know, with regard to black males at a young age? What else would you add to that? Oh man, I mean there's so much.
1: I'm- I think, I think there's two major takeaways. Um, the first is that black men are sexually, black boys and young black men are sexually vulnerable, um, meaning that whereas we when we think about or theorize black women and girls, we say there's a vulnerability they have to sexual violence and sexual coercion. Um, I think what she touched me uh, illustrates is that black boys have that same kind of sexual violence in a racist society. Um, because black Men and boys are dehumanized because they're thought about as the rapist, because they're thought of as sexual predators. Um, that, ster- that racist and that misandric stereotype about hypersexuality um, blinds us to their victimization and vulnerability to the predatory behavior of women and other men. Uh, so that was what I really wanted to come through um, in the writing of the discussion section and the theoretical implications um, of this argument. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second thing is the kind of pain that black men experience and communicate to us uh, in the telling of their narrative Um, because you see them talking about different sexual behaviors that they've adopted in response to their trauma, even though they did not initially recognize it as trauma within the stories that they gave us. And I think that's a very powerful um, example of how we need to reformulate um, and kind of remap or reengage how we're thinking about studying Black men and boys academically and even from a public health or clinical perspective. They're not going to, they're not black men and boys are not being socialized to identify themselves as able to experience a certain kind of trauma or suffering at the hands of other people. Mm-hmm. So they take on the weight of their sexual victimization as if it was an agentic choice. They somehow had agency. But that right. does not that doesn't prevent the kinds of trauma we see, like early sexual experiences, promiscuity. Um, unprotected sex, right? Risk your sexual behavior. Um, much of the mm-hmm. literature talks about a child before the age of 21. Um, these are the types of th- uh, depression, right? Uh, feelings yeah. of worthlessness yeah. and loneliness. These things don't stop just because they reinterpret the story. So that means that we have a lot of black men are being suggested as being hyper-masculine of being um, tied off holding traditional views of masculinity where that's not their views at all, but rather that's what's being measured when they're, because we're not asking, have they been victims of previous sexual violence or sexual abuse? Right. And the implication right. for the study is that before we can make arguments about hyper-masculinity and patriarchal masculinity, we have to ask the question, are these specific responses uh, to violence specifically female perpetrated? Violence? Well, well, the first one, I think the first guy's name is Scott. You talk about an
0: experience that he had at the age of six. Uh, yes. where he, his, he, his experience was with a game called hide and go get it at the age of six with a girl. And he says, uh, this, is a, this is a derivative of hide and go seek, except when a boy finds a girl, he's supposed to dry hump her or initiate some other sexually charged interaction. Um, can you talk about those kind of experiences for, for boys that age?
1: No, I mean, I think this is kind of the socialization that, that we see with young black boys. You know, um, you know, in the study I actually cited um uh Cardinia and Avessi's work, uh mm-hmm. The Mark of Oppression, where they documented that lower-class black boys were having sex and uh, sexual intercourse at the between the ages of seven and nine. Um, I think that this is something that we have to talk about, right? The expectation the young black boys should be sexually active within our within our communities and within our culture because right. they don't have a childhood. Uh, one of the arguments that, that we draw upon in the article uh, is that the adultification literature has said that we take childhood away from Black boys, but that's only looked in terms of lethality. We haven't looked at how that affects notions of sexual maturation or sexual availability. And this study the first ways to do that. So if you don't believe that black boys are actually children and they're sexual objects or animals, um, then it makes complete sense that you would see a black boy sexually available or able to have sexual intercourse or perform sexual activities uh, on on grown women or their female peers. Mm. So I think that Scott's story is a powerful illustration of how there is no boundary of childhood um, being respected or recognized um, when black boys are, are the subject of it. Now, this one I'm going to put up on
0: the screen as well if I can. And again, uh, bear with me because I'm working with a new program. But this one's interesting. This is the story of Ron. Uh, And let me see, I think it's page 219, trying to get to here. Uh, Where'd it go? There we go. So we're looking at Ron here. And um, there's some interesting things here. So, Ron. Uh, for those who may be driving, not able to look at their screen, Ron is, is now 42, heterosexual, no children, graduate degree, says mm-hmm. his first sexual experience occurred when his mother's friend and her daughters came to stay with them after their house caught fire. Children all, were all around eight years old, 1981. He was, Ron was fascinated by them because they were from New York, but uh, talks about um, when one of the girls says to him, I want I want you to feel something and I want you to rub something. Uh, you know, and then from there, he begins to talk about his his early experiences. But then he gives another example um, when, at, as I said, at 15, another family friend in her 20s came to stay. Ron remembered their sexually charged encounter. Older women were sexually curious about me and very kind, a vocal and sometimes very direct and aggressive about it. But I remember going into her room one day and she was lying down. And she had on pretty much nothing. And she had something that was covering her up. And she just said, her terminology was, I really want to see you natural. But that's a Grenadi- Grenadian expression for, I want to look at your body. I want, I want you essentially. Uh, she kept on saying, I just really want to see you natural. Just really, really want you. Want to see you natural. She kept on saying it in a very seductive way. I never told my mother that. But my mother, uh, I think, found out, got a sense. You know mothers, she got a sense. Uh that woman who stayed with us was gone the next week. Now that's an interesting response, yes. but what I've also found to happen is that you know a lot of times and we've we've heard of this with female victims, the parents don't believe them at all, and I absolutely. think always there's another dimension of that because it's not only not being believed, it can be that you're believed but the idea is that this is either a rite of passage or this is something that you know you really wanted, and this is good for you. Oh um, absolutely
1: uh, go ahead. Well well we have these destructive myths and, and I think that what's most frustrating about it is again, you know, this is always blamed on men. Um, but in Ron's case, I think that it was, you know, he was talking about the reaction that his mother had. You know, and again, this is why again, this is why I say it's so important to listen to the stories and narratives, the experiences of black men and boys. Like how do how do we understand this? Right? How do we understand um a mother who may who may have um thought about, maybe anticipated or had some suspicion? that the woman that she brought was having sex with her son, but never asked about whether or not her son was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't deal with the trauma or the effect of the sexual trauma or abuse. Maybe didn't even perceive that such things could harm a young black boy. Right. Like, like This is, this is what I'm saying is at stake in us getting this argument, right. You know, the, the issue is the woman who molested him as a rapist and that she was a family friend. And she was walking to the house because either A, the mother didn't know she was a rapist or B, didn't suspect that she would rape her child. But it happened. And When we asked about whether or not he understood it as self-trauma, he said, no, not really. But nonetheless, describe reactions that are consistent with a victim. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, it, it's so much ignorance and misperception around what black men and boys actually are that it becomes hard to disentangle that from just our inability to see or acknowledge. Um, We are blind to female perpetration, yes, but we are also um, distorted and incentivized in our biases about Black men to disregard their sexual victimization, and I think that that's the most harmful part. We don't see them as having any kind of traumatic or negative consequences because a woman rapes them. right? And sometimes we, have, we, we get it. You know, I've had conversations with people where they're willing to talk about black boys being victims of rape if we're talking about men as perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, that's not a victim-centered, it's never a victim-centered analysis. It's always, oh, we told you about black men were rapists. They even rape little boys. That's about as deep as you get. I'm interested in the depression, the, the metrics of loneliness, social withdrawal, the consequences, risky sexual behavior. I might... I, their, their views of manhood and masculinity, that's what I'm fundamentally interested in when we're talking about Black male victims of sexual violence. Um, I'm not into the criminalization. I think these Black women need help. Um, I think that some of them should, in fact, be removed from homes and communities, um, but I don't think criminalizing more Black people is going to be the answer to decreasing sexual violence in our communities. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there's, when I read this paper for the first time, it knocked me out of my seat. Um, and I'm going to pull to it. It's page 228. So, um, it, because it got me thinking about something I had never really processed, especially for Black men who have experienced early uh, sexual victimization, and that was how you even begin to process pleasure. Um, so it's this. I think this is the part here. Uh, yeah. So unlike Stephen Michael, where sex was a marker for manhood, oral sexual stimulation created an early desire in Andre to please women. This conditioning to give as opposed to receive also created a self-consciousness and fear of intercourse that he still reckons with years later as an adult father of his own child. Andre's early sexual interactions with adult women shaped his sexual preferences in ways he's still trying to understand. Now that is a powerful statement. Because what you're alluding to there is the the, the very processing of pleasure yes. from those early traumatic experiences not only shapes his sexual behavior as an adult, not only produces fear and anxiety and self-consciousness about intercourse, but again, even his desire to please when oh, absolutely comes out of this. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: I, I think that's what actually, I think this is one of the uh, most impactful applications of this research is that it shows that black men and boys are socializing certain sexual expectations um, and sexual practices because of their early sexual experiences, our initial sexual debut. Um, I don't think we would have much of a problem accepting this if we're talking about other individuals, other groups, mm-hmm. um, but there's a very grooming aspect to this abuse. Um, in Andre's case, the fact that he was incentivized to have oral sex with an older woman, um, the fact that he was continuing to do it over a, a long period of time, um, especially, as, as he says, I believe, um, when he started to um, mature reached puberty and wanted to do it on the basis of his own decisions and, and was cut off. Um, These are all things that have deep psychological uh, impacts, at least deep psychological scars. And I think that why, like Andre's story, really shows it's like, look, this trauma isn't just doesn't just manifest itself in the negative consequences, it also changes the way that black men experience and understand what pleasure and sexual activity actually are. So, if I'm if you know, and I can say, like, you know, I had an early sexual experience when I was like 14. And that definitely impacted the way that I viewed sex and intimacy with women. You know, um, I don't think it rises to the level of, of statutory rape because she was a peer, but it's certainly coercive. Mm-hmm. Um, these kinds of things define what you think of as sex, as what you think of as the norm. Right. And right. we have to we have to start being honest about this. I think, unfortunately, because of the popularity of the work of people like bell hooks and other black feminists who look at black men as simply being hypersexual, right. there's no. One- of the individual and how the experiences that an individual has actually formulate certain patterns of sexual behavior. So, mm-hmm. if you start to view that black men are just freaks and hypersexuals, that they want to do all this, you know, mature and, and nasty stuff with innocent black women who grow up in the same neighborhoods of them, but nonetheless are their victims and prey, then you're going to have a, black boys don't have any sexual maturation. They're right. already. Maturing. But if you're looking at our research as actually talking, To black men and boys is actually digging into their experiences and using empirical work um, to to situate and interpret and and, and discuss what they're saying they're actually doing within sexuality or how they're translating their own victimization. Then you're going to get something like Andre, we say, look, the effect of this was it changed the parameters of how I thought about intimacy and sexual pleasure. And it shows that, you know, I think it's a really good case to show that look, Black men are reacting to a whole bunch of trauma and violence that the world will not acknowledge. You know, I engage in, in what
0: is, I guess, officially called porn studies in, in my black male class. And what I do is I have an assignment that we do where I have them go to pornography sites and actually categorize the terms and names and, and used to refer to black men in any capacity. And the list is, is pretty staggering if you've never seen it on one chalkboard, just all of it written out. But you could pretty much anticipate the kind of things you'd see. But my my students commented on one of the things they found interesting was, you know, the length of time that black men will have sex, the kind of extent we'll go to to provide certain kinds of pleasure. And it's usually just kind of dismissed as male ego. But what you right. hear suggests that really there's an access an asset an aspect of it that might need to be considered as a result of trauma. And I think that's key because as you pointed to a moment ago, it goes back to informing and kind of supporting this popular narrative that black males are hypersexual
1: when really there's a traumatic element to be taken into consideration. There's a traumatic element and there's a socialization factor um, that has not been referred to or even pointed to in previous literature. Mm -hmm. That's why we know this article was such uh, a contribution to the field, because it's actually showing that, look, sexualization um, is something that happens to Black men, not some kind of, you know, ideology that trickles down from patriarchy into their minds and it spawns the Black rapists. Absolutely. You know, I think, this, I think the, the over-citation of Bell Hooks without a serious interrogation of her arguments about Black male sexualization uh, is extremely harmful at this point. Because now we have evidence where we know better. And people are still pushing this same narrative. So there has to be either an ideological component or a buy-in, some kind of profit motivation for why we keep calling black men predators and rapists, or there has to be this just fundamental dislike and hatred for black men. Because there's no explanation, it's not real. So there has to be some kind of explanation or force that is creating the impetus for liberal arts disciplines to continue to interpret black men in such a way that is so distinct from every other group that it becomes exceptional. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, um let me see here.
0: You you see if I can pull this up. There's a couple charts you wanted to share with us. Um as we start to transition
1: into your your latest piece, uh tell us what we're looking at. Ah, uh, actually that's the <laughs> wrong chart. Oh, it's, a um, one? it's not three two. Okay. Yeah. I think I may have sent you the wrong file. Um let me Let's what see what's the next to pull up. I can pull. Let me see. I I have the other two. Let's yeah. see if,
0: if those are also the wrong ones. Uh, let me see three six. Yeah, is that one? Okay.
1: Yeah. So this I can is enlarge it a little bit. So this is the sexual victimization of um of men in the United States uh, from the CDC, and I believe um. I'm not sure which which data set which chart it is, but um, you know, three-four showed the black women. But what what I wanted
0: people to see here, because I don't know if you can see it on your screen, this is lifetime and twelve month prevalence of sexual violence. Yes. Is that what I want?
1: Yes, that's correct. And okay. Okay. Um, what what I wanted people to see is just the extraordinarily high rates of sexual violence um, that you're getting from the data set done by the CDC. You know, when I when I started doing this work, a lot of people were saying, oh. You know, because this was the data I was showing out. They were like, oh, well, you know, this is just data. It doesn't really matter, you know, because this is, I'm sure it's misinterpreted or it's, um, you know, some kind of anomaly of the study. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, the problem that I have when we even talk about domestic violence is that, you know, stalking domestic violence into a part of homicide, you know, these things are related. Um, but in this case, you see that black men demonstrate or have of the highest rate of 12 month prevalence. Almost any group of men in the United States, mm. and if I give you the right chart uh, for the other one, I'm not sure mm. if I did. Uh, let me see. The last one I have is uh, three eight, I believe it is. Um, is. That it table, yeah. See, like that's table three point six. If you could have pulled up table three point two, okay. Like the prevalence of sexual violence of women. Okay, let me see if I can, if I have it anywhere in here. So bear with me, people. Let me I can explain three point eight too. I mean, this is um I'm actually gonna go
0: back to uh, the file you sent me. So let me see, because
1: I can just open up the
0: whole thing. Uh, okay. I'm just not as savvy with this new system as I <laughs> was yet. god uh, yeah, dang it. I don't even know where it went. Uh okay, this okay. is irritating. <laughs> Cause I know I had it up. On uh, all right, I'll just go back to it because you sent it to me so I, anyway. I'll pull it up uh, right through Facebook since that's oh my god, or did I download it? That's, that might be easier to do if I just downloaded it. Okay, I see the problem. All right, so the problem is that I'm still downloading software. Okay, so let me. I can pull this up here and there we go so uh, national partner intimate, National intimate partner sexual violence survey yeah um, oh so this is
1: gonna go sideways so you want to go to three two yes yeah, it should be table three two table three two. okay it's in the blue section all right uh, okay
0: I pulled up three one there we go yeah there you go OK. OK, let's see if we can get some kind of organization here.
1: All right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so there you go. So, you know, the, the reason I, you know, I've been focusing on this, I mean, these are the latest CDC. This is a snapshot of, uh, you know, just kind of how they study victimization. And I just will always want to show people the numbers right? So you can see that, you know, the rate or the weighted rate of the 12-month prevalence um, for Black women with uh, contact sexual violence, which includes rape and everything, uh, sexual coercion, et cetera, for that measure, uh, is 5.8. And I think that was, that basically turns out to be around uh, 850,000 estimated victims per year. Uh, When you look at the the number of rape, 1.8, you see that um, that percentage is, is disproportionate compared to other groups like white women um, and is equal to Hispanic women. Um, and roughly that number in a given year uh, is assumed to be around 264,000. Um, if you go back to that chart that you initially demonstrated, uh, 3.6, where you look at men? Wait, which? Uh, I think I took it down. Yeah, <laughs> Let's go to 3.6. All right, hold on. You just do it out the you know just fast forward the pages, yeah. Oh, are right, right. you talking about this one here? Yeah. Okay. So notice now. Notice when you're looking at the mail chart in the exact same categories in the exact same data set, black men report six point five percent, right? And their numbers are around eight hundred thirty thousand of contact sexual violence, mm-hmm. and their numbers were made to penetrate violence is two point one. Slightly lower than that of Hispanic men, but nonetheless still around the same number, 272,000, uh, 272, um, oh, that's made a victims. And what I'm trying to tell people is, even in our communities, you have black men and black women making similar claims at the similar rate in terms of sexual victimization. And we don't have any clue what the victimization of these black men actually look like because people refuse to study it. Right. And again, this is this is what I mean about the kind of dishonesty in the academy. Nobody's denying that black women are victims of sexual violence, contact sexual violence and even non contact sexual experiences like sexual harassment. Nobody's arguing that. But what I'm saying is when you look at this data, it also shows you that there is a similar number, if not a higher rate of black men reporting the same kind of violence, especially in the made to penetrate category, which is basically the male equivalent of rape. Mm -hmm. And nobody's taking this victimization seriously. So while we've done a qualitative study that shows how black men are and black boys are victims of course sexual or statutory rape, when you look at the broader picture, they're showing that there is a real problem of sexual victimization amongst black men in the United States that nobody wants to address because it's black men. And if you go to the last chart, 3.8, I know what most people say. And this is the argument that I have um, with a lot of feminists. Is that well? The reason that you have high rates of sexual violence in the black community are in general is because those crimes are perpetrated against men. So they say that even if we accept that black men are men generally are victims of sexual violence, is at the hands of other men. That is just not true. Um, Three point eight talks about the the general rates of perpetration, um, and you can see that. Look, if you're talking about rape, where where men are. Entering the bodies of other individuals, absolutely right. When men are penetrating other individuals, they're the majority of the perpetrators, around eighty percent or so, right? And when you're talking about made to penetrate violence, right, female only made to penetrate violence, you're talking about almost eighty percent of the perpetrators are women. Mm. This is this is Mm. this is blind spot in the scholarship and literature. This is not for people. This is saying that we have evidence and data that suggests a certain phenomenon is occurring in the United States and we refuse to investigate it because of the identity politics and ideologies that say that black men cannot be victims and women generally cannot be perpetrators of sexual violence. This is anti-intellectual. This is a disservice to the health and and the prosperity of those individuals because we know they're being victimized and we're refusing them services and attention. And 53% Mm -hmm. unwanted sexual contact by female perpetrators. Yeah, And this is is what I mean Is that there is a fundamental Difference between something that is Ideology which says I am only going to interpret things one Way and then Something that says here's a theory to Explain an empirical set of facts That nobody wants to deal with What I'm trying to do in black male studies What I'm trying to do in my research and Interaction with black men is address This kind of problem of sexual vulnerability That's one aspect of the research so it's when black men who are victims that share their stories of violence. And this is why I got mad at Terry Cruz on Twitter, because I say you don't understand the depths of the trauma and the problems that you're trying to get black men to confess to on Twitter. You're going around because a white man touched your genitalia and you're acting like you're the spokesperson of all black men who are victims of sexual violence. And I told him on Twitter, I actually talk to and work with men who have been victims of rape. What you're doing is just fundamentally wrong and immoral. Because you would never do this to a woman or a female victim where you say you have to confess, uh, describe your story in detail. So I believe you. I'm like, what the hell is going through your mind? Mm -hmm. You know, there's no sensitivity. And then the black person that gets hired by the white establishment as the spokesperson for black victims tries to re-victimize them. And and I'm, you know, and this is, and everybody was, you know, thinking, oh, this is a debate. I was like, this is not a debate to have. I was like, I come to this with a certain kind of humbleness and ignorance because nobody else that I know of actually has a protocol for studying black male victims of sexual violence. So now I come to this with a tremendous amount of, 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 of humbleness, sympathy and humility to make sure that I'm not trying to traumatize anybody by bringing attention to the issue. Cruz is acting a fool because he's being paid by a white liberal feminist establishment that's saying that black men are toxic and black men are perpetrators. But you have black men who have been victimized by women and other men who are ha- who don't relate to the perpetrated issue because they're a victim. Their position, their trauma, their suffering, their identity is held in a position of trying to deal with the violence that happened to them. It's a sick Kind of exploited, exploitive practice where people in the academy and people that are that, that take on the celebrity mantle of the public intellectual profit off of the suffering, trauma, and sexual victimization of black men while denying they could be victims in the first place by calling them rape. And nobody is standing up for these groups of people that need help. They just want to demonize them and condemn them when they when they commit a crime or they beat their spouse or they are they, they, they have a fetish for sexualizing children like R Kelly because they don't want to get them treatment before they do that right, right. And that's the problem I have it's a it's a fundamental dishonesty in, in, in not only in terms of how we understand um, a particular set of human beings and their condition, but how we disregard the human experience because they're black men and i and I'm tired of this idea. Where people get to say, you know, like i am getting constant articles with people black feminism's already done that. Besides for Brianna right. French. Right. Yeah, besides for French, French's two articles where she's looking at high school um sexual victimization about against racialized boys generally. <clears throat> I know of no other feminist work, black feminist work, that's actually investigated female perpetration against black men. Mm. I know of no other work. There's one study that we quote in the article, um, that's looking at, they didn't look at their experiences, but looked at like court cases or doctor's records to find out if they were more uh, hypersexual or homosexual. But besides for that, and that's just a stupid study, but besides for that, there is no investigation into this piece of black men's lives, despite the data showing you that it's, a, that it's at least the same, if not more, a part of their lives than, than black women. So you have a group of black men who are victimized more than most groups of women in this United States, and nobody wants to study them because they're black and male.
0: Hmm.
1: That's, hmm. A, that's a tremendous affair, and it's a tremendous uh, dereliction of our duty as scholars and public health officials and and, and uh, clinicians to not try to do any kind of work to help these people. And that's and be honest, if I can be real, this is what pisses me off. Mm-hmm. This is what pisses me off because I came to this out of a humbleness where I was deeply affected by black men and boys who were suffering who were crying on the phone who were telling me that they were victims of rape and nobody would help them or nobody would talk to them right nobody would talk about them we get killed the argument is we we get killed in the street and we're having arguments about intersectionality saying we're getting too much attention every time we talk about a black man he's a rapist a predator or an abuser he's trash and i look at i look at what's coming from the academy. And I look at the lives of black men that are reinterpreting values, that are coping with things without treatment, that are self-medicating, that, that don't have access to these, to these facilities and don't have access to the academy. And these people frame them as if they're not worthy of our consideration. They dehumanize them as the basis to advance their own theoretical career, their own theoretical advances and academic career.
0: Now, see, so and you said. Go
1: ahead. What, what were you saying? I was like nobody says a word about. It. So you can you can get a job, and I'll be very honest with you. You can get a job going, you could go to an interview and say how much you hate black men and still get hired for that position in this country. You can say that black men are rapists on a job interview. I've been on job interviews where I've been where I'm when someone was interviewing me and then asked me to admit that black men were abusers of women and rapists. And when I refused to make that concession, of course, I didn't get the job. Right. It was in a small school in Kentucky. I had no interest in it seriously anyway. But the point is, the point is, is that by me not not buying into the idea that black men were rapists and predators. Somehow that made me ineligible for the position. Right. right? right. Despite the facts. Right. Despite the amount of study I posted, this guy, I don't know how many articles I have. I think maybe 70 articles. Right. Despite the quality of the work. Defending facts about black men is worse than defending or prom- promulgating stereotypes about it. Well, we've, we've talked about this, you know, because both of us have gotten the inside word
0: on hiring committees that we've gone and interviewed with and found out after the fact that we were blocked from those positions because of our stance on black men and on gender. So that's definitely something that I want to shout out to people, uh, especially if you're if you're faculty or if you're a graduate student going into becoming a faculty person without tenure. You need to be very careful about how you navigate these arguments because you know, what we're talking about here is a black male studies position, or what I would frame as a black masculinist position, is considered inherently misogynist simply because you provide data to show that black males victimized as well. And that's a faulty argument, but it's one that's widely
1: accepted. And and to this very day, I've not had a single person actually tell me what the what is the misogynistic stereotype that comes out of the work. Right. Because right. there's no because there's no there's no theory about black women, qua black women. Right. There's no argument. There's no attack on black women. The only argument is the data, the experiences, history show that black women have per- perpetrated some forms of violence against black men and boys. Right. Just the fact. Right. Huh? Huh? I say even white sociologists were writing about this stuff in the 50s and 60s. Right. I actually did a paper with, um, uh, Dr. Rolo, uh, Stacy Patton, and myself on, um, black women and child abuse. Like these are well-documented, um, kinds of violences that exhibit that that was being studied pathologically and racistly, of course, but there's tons of narratives, firsthand accounts of black children, black boys, black husbands talking about the abuse that they received at the hands of their mothers or their spouses. So the fact right. that now becomes something where we cannot discuss or study it's just, it's just completely ridiculous to me. But
0: there are different types of violence that I don't think we've really begun to, begun to parse through. Because when I talk about Gail King, I consider what she did rhetorical violence. No, when it is violence about spending 16 years in higher education only dealing with gender from a Black feminist standpoint, mostly by Black feminists, but also intersectionalists in general, professors, that I consider a form of intellectual violence because it was very keyed in on silencing the experiences of black males and then framing us only primarily as these types of patriarchal aggressors. Absolutely. And the kind of and I,
1: violence is not called what it is. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly because again, my, my question has always been what is the what does the data say? And then what do we have to say about how we interpret the data? So if you're gonna point to me, because like you know, feminists love using the wind Square, you know, data data set. And you go into that data set and there's a, there's a 20 or 13, I forgot the year, but there's like a 20 person gap in, in intimate partner homicide, right? Mm-hmm. You look at the CDC data set. It tells you that same sex couples have higher rates of intimate partner violence. and You know, like at what point are we going to, like, what are we talking about, right? Like, are we only talking about the figure that supports you or are we trying to figure out what's going on in our communities? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's my frustration. I There is no autological program here. Who commits violence? Why do they commit it? Why are why are black lesbians why are black um, queer couples committing violence against each other? Well, the answer usually is because of discrimination and stigma. Okay, why are black men and women committing violence against each other? The answer is probably poverty and racialized stigma and discrimination. Why are black women abusing black children? Probably poverty and racial discrimination. Why are black men abusing children? right? Like that's what I'm interested in. But we can't seem to move beyond the idea that we have now chosen a perfect subject and that these subjects will never be. Um, rendered to be perpetrators of violence. That is not how science grows. That is not how knowledge grows. White people already made the jump from Duluth to more empirical and ecological studies of their own people. We are reproducing their pathological system that they have left behind over 30 years ago to get positions in the academy. And furthermore, we need to ask, why are liberal arts programs and departments that are majority white so convinced by arguments that have no data, right? So why is there an investment in the idea that we should cre- hire people that want to make black men into boogeymen, mm. what's the incentive? What? What is? What? Who? And what are they trying to keep out? Right. We
0: already know well, the answer to so that. We also have to talk about the materialization of this kind of thing, right? Because you get you get access to positions, you get access to funding, travel funds, Absolutely. research fund, positions, all of that. You know, comes into play when you're willing to
1: toe the line for these kinds of arguments. Yeah, but the thing, but you know, and I, I'm and I, you know, I completely agree with you. But I mean, as an as academic, the question is, why can we not empirically test these arguments? Right, right. Because notice the argument they're making against black male studies is that they don't want to engage the data. I'm mm-hmm. making a very specific point the historiography, the data means that we need to develop a new theory to account for what's being shown at no point has anybody in the last three years shown that i've misinterpreted the data or any of the secondary literature uses the data so mm-hmm. what the hell what what are you upset about well right well. like you're not like the argument you could disagree with my theorization but you have to encounter the historiography and the and the data the sociology behind it to tell me what the theory doesn't account for mm-hmm. and right now the argument is well it doesn't use black feminism i it's like i know i did that on purpose mm-hmm. i developed that wasn't black feminism because I think black feminism has certain pathological beliefs about black men. And that's not to say that black feminism does not have a place in terms of what it's trying to do in the study of black women. I'm not, I've never made that argument. What I am saying, however, very forcefully and clearly is that the antecedents of black feminist thought has roots in subculture violence and contraculture violence theories in the 1960s and 70s that viewed black men as fundamentally pathological, fundamentally abusers, fundamentally misogynistic, and fundamentally um, you know, incentivized and socialized to rape. The same time you get Arjun Lar talking about black men are raping black women because most race rape is interracial is her drawing from the conversation happening amongst white feminists reading Minuchin Amir's work, right mm-hmm. on rape. So you have to trace back where these ideas and what's the genesis of these kinds of theories in the United States or the American consciousness and gender theory. And people act like doing good scholarship that's looking at a sociology of knowledge as well as the impact that has on our hermeneutical framework are somehow beyond the pale, despite that being fine for every other discipline in the world. Well, to shout out this ingenuous engagement. Well,
0: shout out to the young manhood channel and without question, masculine mercenaries. Uh Valdez, much appreciated for the support. Uh, now, Dr. Curry, I'm gonna pull up your your latest
1: paper. Yes, yes. and i want you to take, to take us through this a little bit what are we what are we talking about here so again um you know this is with you know dr Utley's um support and her co-authoring uh, this is a subset of the data set that we had uh with our initial interviews and what this study wanted to focus on was how black men actually uh proactively engage their first sexual experience so our first <clears throat> that a lot of Black men simply do not have the uh, luxury of choosing their first sexual partner. Uh, the high rate of statutory rape and early sexual debut amongst Black males in the United States uh, shows that many first sexual experiences are either statutory rape, um, be it allegedly voluntarily, or which we know can't happen because they're, the, they're under the age of consent, or coercively. So we wanted to focus here on, well, if Black men have the choice to choose their sexual partners, um, who do they actually choose? And I thought this was a, a great article because it really does show that black boys um, choose their friends. They choose people who could understand them, who could make them feel safe. Um, it, chooses, it shows that they have certain notions of, of resilience, of certain notions of sexual immaturity and anxiousness, uh, and that they mediate this through choosing friendships um, like other people so that they can be safe, that they can have positive relationships um, when they lose their virginity, and and how that creates a a whole new sense of empowerment and coping that's not just a predatory first sexual experience, which is often what we get when we read bell hooks, um, but black boys who are mediating their feelings, mediating their attractions, and making deliberate decisions that make them and their partners feel safe. Mm. Mm. So we, we think it's a tremendous intervention Um, And contribution to the field Uh, because we don't currently have a theory or any kind of evidence of how black boys make um, choices during their first um, their initial sexual debut. And what this is trying to show is that black boys are actually, you know, actually pretty sensitive about their first time having sex. Uh, I think some of the stories are uh, hilarious, (laughs) you know, Um, but they but they, they give a different side to black men and boys that I think that we've never seen revealed in the literature okay can you take us through some of what you found sure sure so um yeah i mean i'll just i guess the discussion would be the 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 easiest way to do it instead of going through some of the story um so what what we found was that um you know there was this kind of need of mutual exploration Uh, so in a lot of the feminist literature and mostly i'm talking about bell hooks and uh, a little bit about just um i mean patricia Collins mentions a little bit about this in, in black sexual politics um, but what we found was that there was a mutual exploration that the girls that they were talking to also had sexual expectations, and the black boys felt nervous um, as to whether or not they could live up to the expectation that the young women uh, were placing on them for their first sexual experience. Uh, we saw the black the, the black boys describe um, a certain level of agency that black girls engaged in to orchestrate and kind of make the sexual intervention happen. So it wasn't just that black boys were kind of preying on these black women and trying to convince them out of their virginity, but it shows that black women were actually um, active participants. There was a mutual interest um, in, in having sex, our or initial sexual intercourse, uh, and that this was something that they mediated in terms of relationships, conversations, and as friends. Um, and lastly, uh, there's a few other points, but um, lastly, I think what this also shows is that um. The the peer pressure, this idea that we keep getting from hegemonic masculinity and hypersexuality—that boys are having all this pressure to perform sexually, et um, cetera—is actually something that's mediated with women, right? Um, The data we had suggested that the girlfriends are 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 welcoming and positive and create a a safe space to begin sexual exploration, sexual maturation, and um, identity process. I noticed different than what happens when we get early sexual debut sexual coercion because when you have black boys this is actually the French study when you have black boys that are sexually victimized by women of an older age they usually um, embrace stereotypes of those of those um, of those women so if a black boy is raped by a black woman part of the way that he rationalizes that is to believe that black women are hypersexual that black women hate black men right negative stereotypes of those groups and what we found in this study is that when black boys are able to choose, they seem to have positive developments in accounts of their friendship and the women involved in the, in that sexual relationship. So this makes a huge difference in terms of. Uh, we have to do, of course, more studies on this uh, further, but it, it seems to lend some evidence that this is going to make a huge difference in terms of how black men are sexualized into uh, first intercourse and intimacy with women. You know, in one sense,
0: though, it's it's kind of a shame that there actually has to be a study that shows that boys and young men intersex from. Standpoint, like you actually have to say, these are human beings, they're not animals. But you also point out that there's a lack of sexual education.
1: Absolutely. Um, What do you you credit that to? I I think it's the stereotypes. I I think it's partly that we don't think that we have to educate black boys um, one way or the other. Um, And she touched me, our worry about sexual education was that we're not showing or teaching black boys that they could be victims of sexual violence and sexual coercion. Um, More so here. we're talking about the ways that we're not educating black boys given their threat of sexual victimization and being victims of rape into other possible outlets of a positive sexual identity. So the question really is how do black boys relate to sex, right? Uh, And when they're doing it with friends, sexual education in terms of pregnancy in terms of safe sex um in terms of the other side right of not being able to choose your partner while you may want to be have a friend with benefits rather than a relationship why a friend may be better than a girlfriend right these are all questions that should be taken up um for young black boys and men uh, in terms of sexual debut that's not often broached at all and you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. one of the things about this study was that it's crazy that we need a study about it right, right. it's crazy right. That we need a study to to show that black boys actually care about losing their virginity and their sexual debut. Wow. Um, but nonetheless, that's the world that we were given. So we have to have a study to show that black boys genuinely care about who their are sleeping with. Wow. Wow. And well that the important part is that they're choosing friends to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like imagine, imagine that, right? Like, you know, i I've I know I went to college, I had friends, and sometimes you know, we crossed the friendship boundary. But, <laughs> you know, that happens sometimes with men and women, especially when you're young. But yeah, some the of them was, still do. But I hear you. Well, go ahead. Yeah. But, but the, point of, the point of it was it was made on the decision for me personally that I could trust them. Mm-hmm. Right. That I would have to deal with the drama. I would I would have to, I would deal with somebody that's understanding. Right. Like that's the way that I made a lot of the decisions um, before I was married about about my sex life. Like people I could trust, people that make me feel safe. People that, you know, that respect the fact that I wasn't, you know, kind of out there all day. I was, you know, I was Southern. So I had I had issue with my make sure my reputation (laughs) was still that of a gentleman. Um, Yeah, those things were important to me when I was younger. Um, And I made decisions on that basis. So it's refreshing. It's it's a certain vindication for me to see that black men in general. Right. Or at least from our small data set, um, Mm I'm also those kinds of decisions. And I think that what it does to be honest with you is it pushes back on this pathological narrative that we see out of black feminism that says that black men are just socialized into a predatory sexual behavior mm-hmm. um, true it is a misrepresentation of black boys' own experiences um and there's no empirical evidence like there's not they're not interviewing a whole bunch of black women. Um, that's that's given a counterside. They're doing this all from extrapolation of their personal narratives or their self-selected group of friends. And what I think is most damaging, and this is, you know, I said this about the Black Women's Blueprint study that came out, where they were saying that like 60% or 70% of um, first sexual experiences was, was rape. I said, listen, you're defining rape on the basis of sexual debut. So mm-hmm. you're saying that because most Black women are having sex before the age of 17, that's all rape. Right. And if you want were- that, that's fine. But notice how pathological that is. Most black people, men and women, have earlier sexual abuse than white people. So mm. that means, by definition, because white people's age of maturation is the standard, most black people are going to have rape be their first sexual experience. And we know, given what's been studied thus far, that's going to be especially true for black men. So if you ask black men, the majority of their first sexual experiences are all rape. That's pathologizing our groups of people. That's mm. not... A- That's not us actually studying black people and trying to understand what about our culture, what about our community, what about our circumstances are fundamentally different and why that should be studied in a different way than white people, right? Mm -hmm. We've done, and this is what I mean about the incentivizing the pathologization of black people for profit. What we've done is we've gone back to what black family studies was fighting against. We, right, when Monaghan came up, what did we say? Black white people's family is not the standard of black people's families, right? So okay. black people have extended families, black people have extended familial networks, play cousins, etc. That create family in the community. So you can't use the white nuclear family as the model. Now you have the same group of people who want to disown hand come back and tell you, but we need to use white people's sexual mores and practice as the model.
0: As the model. Right?
1: See, and this is what I'm saying. It's a it's a bait and switch tactic. Either mm-hmm. black. Has advanced to the point where white people are not the model, and we study ourselves separately and culturally distinctive from them. Or we, don't. but what I find happen is when we want to explain away high levels of female perpetration, oh, it's class, it's trauma, it's 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 isolation, it's this. It's this. Oh, well, that's because they're like white men. See, black women are culturally, and this is the argument I'm making: the man, not black women are culturally distinct because intersectionality has told white people you have to study us differently. Mm. Black men are pathologized because they're just like white men. Mm. And the way, they, the way they get there to this, this mimicry, this this mimesis, is because they're reading people like Lynn A. Curtis or they're reading people like uh, Wolfgang and Farrah Cootie. There's only mm. four intersectionality. There were only three theories that made this argument, right? The, or actually two because subcultural violence theory just talks about violence. It doesn't talk about imitation one is racial sexualization theory that was introduced by um karen holmes and this other one, one white woman white feminist in texas and the second one is contracultural theory is a criminology theory that's formulated by this white guy named lynn a curtis right those are the only two theories that even attempted to make an argument about black men learning violence from white men right mm-hmm. and guess what those were two racist theories mm-hmm. so we, what we've done is We've taken the same position that racists had about black men in the 1970s, and we've reintroduced it as a common pop culture sensibility to explain why black men perpetrate violence. So we get no uniqueness. We get no consideration. Hell, we don't even get empiricism. Mm. Because we could have data set after data set, study after study, saying, hey, maybe what Curry says is correct, or at least correct given these sets of facts that he's introducing. And people say, well, we just don't care about facts. Right. Let's talk about let's talk about why Curry doesn't call himself a feminist rather than his actual evidence. Let's talk about, you know, Curry's stance on intersectionality and why he's preferred social dominance theory as as the topic of the day, rather than the seven, the findings of 70 articles in an award winning, you know, an American book award winning book that's introduced a new way for us to actually understand uh, black men and boys. Right. Mm-hmm. This, this is what happens when someone goes against the dogma of their time. And I'm just not willing to, to trade a, a position, academic position uh, for the lives and humanity of black men and boys. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people often it should.
0: Well, I, I fully understand and agree. Just quick shout out to Duck Duckwiley. I think that's how you pronounce the name. Tariq Art Newstyle and Mark Black. Thanks for the contribution. I want I'll to, take, I'll take it a step further because I think i mentioned this to you before. In graduate school uh, and even in undergrad, what would what would stand in for research on rape in a class that I would take, black feminist class, was they would bring in a victim of rape. She would talk about her experience. And then the class would kind of have this moment where, you know, they shame black men for not doing enough to prevent rape. And that would be the end of the discussion. That would be considered a higher level academic analysis on rape in the black community. No data, no charts, nothing, It just... You know this this notion, and then there were even films on this, man. I think there's actually a documentary film called My Masculinity Helps uh, that I was asked to to showcase at Fresno State a number of years ago that was principally talking nothing about black men need to do more to prevent rape, but the but one of the data sets they did present was that ninety nine percent of rapes were on from black men to women, which makes sense if the only definition of rape, is pre-2013 yeah. and it's rape that, you know, rape is only something women women can experience, so on and so on and so forth, but that was the popular narrative that was taken and it was considered higher level academic analysis and that was it's, for the discussion.
1: It's so dishonest, man, like you see, and this is what, again, this is what upsets me. I'm not denying that our sisters suffer disproportionate rates of rape. I just showed you a data set that shows that black women disproportionately suffer <laughs> higher mm-hmm. than high Right. You know, like nobody's denying that. I'm not even denying that Black men perpetrate many of the rapes, right? Because we have data that suggests that. What I am contesting is that there's not another side that shows the victimization of Black men where Black women perpetrate many of the made to penetrate cases. The data also shows that. So Mm -hmm. I guess for the life of me, I can't understand the resistance towards facts. And I think that when we look at rape and sexual violence in such a narrow view, We're not trying to figure out what's causing the rape. You know, Mm -hmm. this is is what truly disturbs me. We're making ontological claims or psychological claims about black men that have no basis in reality. So it's not it's not I mean, it's not a conversation. The idea is that black men should be extremely sorry when we have conversations about rape and shut up and women should get the platform. Then I say, okay. Well, look, I can feel that if, that if we're considering the black female as victim, I was like, so then what happens when we have to consider the black male as victim? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we should never do that. Well, then I'm not. I'm not on board for this. You're not interested in helping anybody. You're interested in creating a perpetrator that you can sell to white people for a position. Well, you're not well, interested in helping our people. You're not interested in trying to understand group dynamics of trauma and their interrelatedness of of you know violence, be it physical or sexual, on future perpetration. You're just that's not your project. Your project is to sell a package of black men as a rapist and a danger to the world. And black feminism somehow is the remedy. But over the last three decades, our economic situation has worsened. You've locked up. God knows how many black men for domestic violence. And our rates have not decreased in comparison to white people. Right. We still have disproportionately higher amounts of child abuse, sexual violence. Pick, pick your point. It's a partner violence. In other words, what you're saying is even when black men are not present, yeah, you still have the you still have the same the same disproportionality.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what I'm saying. And the reason you have this disproportionality is because black men are not the only culprits. Mm-hmm. Because you have black women abusing children, and that produces another cycle of people who are gonna abuse or be victims of abuse. Mm-hmm. Right? If you see the pirates fighting, if they witness domestic abuse, they're more likely to be perpetrated. Like this is this is a communal problem. And I'm just so all the all the evidence, all the science tells us this. And then you have people like the person I don't even know from Facebook think they can beat an beat an a scholarly argument on the basis of a Twitter. Po- a, a damn post. <laughs> you know, I don't I, God know. I don't know who this person is. Right. I mean, I, wants to try say something about me, but I mean, like, wh- where's the evidence? Like if you if it's not like it's not like if you come to me and say, look, I got evidence to refute you. I'm not going to respond to it. Mm-hmm. It's not like anybody in the world could say, hey, Tommy Curry's not going to respond to your evidence in print. or If you want to go there, let's go there. <laughs> I've been out for 10. This is my 10th year. This is my 10th year out of the academy. And nobody, nobody is had wants to step to that plate. Right. I mean, one of the reasons I'm actually working on getting my master's of public health here at Edinburgh is because I'm so deftly serious. Right. I'm so deftly serious. About us trying to solve the problems for Black men and Black women, for Black adults and Black children. I want to be able to impact public health discussions with the theories that I'm writing. Where's wait. these other people with their degrees yeah, in right. Black wait. men trying to do for our communities? Wait a minute.
0: So you telling me you just started a master's program at at at, at, Edim- at
1: Edinburgh? Yeah, I'm, apply- I'm applying to it this semester. Yes. Oh what, man. <laughs>
0: <You> know, <laughs> this is. Yes. Man, I, I,
1: doing that because I recognize that the, the direction that my work's taking me um, is, is empirically grounded and I want to do the best I can to represent our community in a fair and empirically based way because I have an ethical sensibility. You don't hear me out here talking about, well, you know, black women ain't victims because I know in our community, I know in my personal relationships, I've seen black women be victims of domestic violence. But I'm But the same way that I'm doing that, I'm going to say I also know black men who have been victims. And the data suggests that there's there's similar prevalence. This is a public health issue that has not. And, and there's lots of research here. Right. That that has not been applied to our people. So white people get all kinds of funds to scientifically investigate their own people and they take great pride in, 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 jettisoning, in jettisoning theories that don't work. But a black person that wants to study their people in a serious and scientific way gets ridiculed.
0: OK, wait, hold up real quick. Shout out to JBA for the donation S. smalls. Thank you for the support. But I just want to put this in context for you guys, because just the doctorate, you know, alone took eight years. And I remember the last day where I said I'm done with coursework. I am never stepping foot in class again as a student. So for a brother with a doctorate who's who moved just recently to Edinburgh, started the first black male studies department there is. And it isn't even within the country. Continental United States to go back and do a master's degree. Do you know how how much love that takes to want to do that? That's powerful, man. That's powerful. But yeah. question: As we're talking about this in terms of the NISVS data, does that include um, any carceral data? Does that include anything about that?
1: No. No, these are only home surveys, so this so, is. Go ahead. You no, know, so there there are prison sets of sexual violence. Um, Stimple actually uses some of those, but the the charts that we put up are just um phone-ins from i think half are cell phones at home half are landline phones so you're talking about
0: home surveys that don't even include the percentage yeah. of black men who have been incarcerated who are going through these experiences cuz this has been it's been my theory and you're familiar with this that black men are actually you know probably one of the top demographics to experience sexual victimization because the united states incarcerates more people more citizens than right. any other country and black men, per, you know, per capita, more so than any other group, save maybe Native American men. It, it, what are we actually talking about here when we start talking about sexual victimization and
1: we oh, no, you're, incarceration? Yeah, rates of—I mean, Stipple's evidence is really good about this. Like her articles are, are top-notch. But in terms of prison rape, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like that would that would expand the demographic even more. So nobody so, wants to have that discussion, do they? Oh, no, they don't want because they don't want to talk about prison rape, man. You know, I, I was talking to my wife the other day and I said, you know, here's what's funny. Somebody who actually studies black men who are victims of rape, black men who are victims of disability discrimination, black men who suffer depression, black men who are incarcerated. But I'm not progressive enough because I'm not I don't call myself a feminist. And my wife. Right. And this is the thing. My wife studies black women and maternity death. She studies, you know, educational inequality and disparity. So it's just this is this nonsense of ideology. That says Mm -hmm. only way that you can matter is if you buy into a certain language and never mind if the language is right. Never mind if the ideology is right. It just has to be popular. Right. Because remember, most of these people that we're having these arguments with that are attacking black male studies don't have degrees in sociology. They don't have degrees in criminology. They don't have degrees in public health. They have degrees in English. Yep. Right. Literature. Yep yeah like so I just i don't i mean forgive me, and this is not to disrespect disrespect the the excellent liquids and the high theoretical work that goes on in those fields, but they're not asking the same question mm-hmm. and they don't they're not interested in data, so I'm definitely interested in data right I'm interested in how certain social phenomena can be explained through theory and through uh, understanding social processes. That's not their project, but it's those people who who've only whose only analysis of misogyny comes from the color purple. Who constantly tell you that you're wrong? His <laughs> only analysis comes from Bell Hook. He, it's a, a nonsensical proposition, and I'm saying <laughs> because no other people in the world. There's no other group of people in the American Academy that could get studying their own people this way. <laughs> he said the <laughs> color purple. <laughs> but it's 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 a it's a ridiculous proposition. I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> Look,
0: man, I, I have no, I would love to have you on as long as possible, brother, but I know you are eight hours ahead,
1: I know, yeah, yeah. What,
0: you know what kind of workload you got going on, you still got the, the, the babies to, to go, I don't know if you missed a good night to him, and if so, I apologize.
1: No, the baby's go to bed around 7.30 or so.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, you know, still we know I know we had you on long and you got a lot to do, brother. But I really want to thank you, man, for taking the time to go through, explain your work where it is now and show us these papers so people can get a chance to see what blackmail studies on the ground is looking like from the one official place that can produce it and be able to title it such. So I really appreciate you taking that time, man. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, brother. I really, I really appreciate what you're doing here. I'm extremely humbled uh, every time you have guests on, and um, you know they they shout out the man, not and um, you know and the work I've done. I'm, I'm so humbled and grateful um, that you've created this platform. So thank you.
0: Oh, thank you. And I think it, 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 the implications of your work of black male studies in general are, are not, and we haven't even begun to reflect on it. I mean, I shot our me a message a couple of days ago about that, and I said, well, you know, have we really thought about black male studies in regard to politics? Mm-hmm. And we about, you know, you know. If we take this question of centering black men in a particular way, and at least using the data to assess our experiences, what are the implications of that on politics? What are the implications of that on you know? There's a variety of different areas we have not begun to even ask the question because I think
1: what we do is going to in a lot. A but, lot and again, people. you know, I, I just got to say this real quick. I was so deliberate in calling it a study because my interest in the, is in the acquisition of knowledge. And how that knowledge is going to change the way that we view something. I'm not interested in a political movement. I'm not interested in, at this at this point in my career. I'm not even interested in arguing with Black feminists about what they think because it's not going to change, right? It's not going to change. We've we've been down that road. You, I, I mean, when I came out, I tried to appeal with evidence. I tried to appeal with argumentation. I tried to you know, expose the misreadings. I tried to talk. You know, it doesn't work. I'm just, I'm not interested And that. Look, that's God bless them. If that's what they think they have to do to make women win, as I was told by, um, a popular feminist blogger, uh, back in the day, wow. you know, when she, she suggested to me that she wanted to study, uh, gender studies, right. You know, this is a new thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, then why not just look at the evidence? And she was like, if I look at the evidence, um, black men win and my job is to make sure black women don't lose. So if that's the kind of mentality that you have, I know it's crazy. Um, you know who I'm talking about. but um you know if that's if that's the agenda that you have and if that's what you're gonna build your academic career off of, then there's no point of having a conversation. Um, my work is based on scholarship. that's why I publish so much. that's why when I see that I've reached a certain part point in my discipline where I need further training, I say I'm gonna go get further training because I want to make sure that what I'm doing is right, and that when I'm dead and everybody has to. You know They have to try me in public opinion. And people are like, oh, he hated women. He did this, he did that. The reality of the situation is this man produced over 200 articles explaining why he said what he said, right? And he's correct. That's what I care about. Because at some point, somebody who's going to be smarter than me, is going to be younger than me, right, is going to come back and he or she is going to take what mm-hmm. I've done and take it so much farther. And they may actually solve the damn problem. Right. Right. We have a tremendous amount of violence, Tremendous amounts of tragedy that go on in our own communities. Um, and despite people making their careers trying to pick the most suppressed person of the day, um, it's the death, it's the, it's the depression, it's the poverty, it's the political os- isolation. That's what's killing our people, right? And somebody's got to stake their career in trying to get, get that question right.
0: Mm. You know? mm. Well, I definitely gotta say, man, I will not be going back to school, but I will cite whatever papers you write from here on. <laughs> yeah, thank you, brother. Thank you. Uh, but I appreciate it and, and the audience appreciates it. So I don't know if you get a chance to look through the comments, go back through, you know, when you get a moment and actually look at the comments. You got a lot of people commenting, asking questions, but more cool. than anything, providing support. So um, you know, my best to uh Gwinnetta, my best to the babies. Thank you for having us. And to the fellows you know what i usually say thank you for supporting the onyx report and remember i'm here to tell you we are not criminals by birth perennial rapists incapable intellects man children sperm donors child support sources success objects walking phalluses, atm machines lottery tickets unpaid bodyguards interchangeable stepfathers child discipline proxies unpaid repairmen workhorses or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. Peace.